Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? So we'll pitch your stories head to head and find out which one lands. All three sham writers haven't read a lot, so your sham host will find a famous plot. Books and films and TV shows, they'll make a pitch, then off you go to write what you don't know. This is Sham Fiction, the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Andrew Neal. Hey folks, it is Andrew Neal here. Well, like the lady said. It's another week of Sham Fiction. I am so ready for it. I'm so excited to be at the helm this week and tell you about a property that just blew me away recently. And I'm so excited for these two to, you know, do pretty good with it. Not quite blow me away. I mean, what can you expect here? You know, it's okay. <laughs> Don't make any promises you can't keep. <laughs> uh, so let's let's introduce who's going to be writing writing for me this week and there 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 some handsome gentlemen right across the table from me right now uh i'm gonna start over here with mr eric carlson hello hey man how you doing how you feeling i am feeling real good right now yeah yeah i'm in a good place you know we're here we're finally making sham fiction again yeah this is always always keeps me keeps me up you know in many ways more than one way. Oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Sexy ways. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. That's what I'm taking it. That's what I'm going to do. All right, moving on. Another writer over here, Mr. Marcus Man. How you doing, Marcus? I'm doing great. Yeah? I am doing excellently good. <laughs> <laughs> I like your descriptive language that you use right now to describe how you're feeling. It was very effective. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of adjective-ridden redundancy you can hope to see in my Master Sham this week. Oh, man. And, you know, I love it. I'm so excited to experience that, whatever it is that you do, and then whatever (laughs) it is that Eric does, it's going to be great. The whole package. Oh, man. Guys, I got a heck of a property to pitch to y'all in this episode, we are going to be talking about the new Netflix original series, Mind Hunter. Mind Hunter. Yes, quite a title. Very, very. It invites questions. What was this like? The Mind Flayer from Stranger Things, Chapter Two. Ooh, no, it's not. No, oh. not even close. Um, this show was... (laughs) Eric is leaving. Eric, come back. (laughs) Um, this show was created by Joe Penhall based on a book, a nonfiction book, Mm. by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker. Uh, John Douglas is actually a real-life FBI agent, or he was. I think he's retired now. He's an older gentleman. Um, and the show is starring none other than King George himself from Hamilton, Mr. Jonathan Groff Sauce. Yep, Mr. Jonathan Groff. (laughs) Groff Sauce. Groff Sauce. I'm excited for some Groff Sauce. Yeah, yeah. Um, You'll be back. Yeah, and uh, four of the ten episodes in season one were directed by David Fincher, director of such films as Fight Club and Seven and The Zodiac. 
Fincher so, sauce. All right. Yeah. High some pedigree. Sauce. Mix it with some Fincher sauce. Mm-hmm. You got, you, you got, you got yourself, yourself a mind hunter. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got yourself a stew going. Yep, exactly. Oh, man. Um, so I think I'm going to get into this pitch yeah. here. I think we're about ready for that. Right, gentlemen? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm more ready. You can FBI profile me because I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Now it's ready, Zerk. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. Okay, so Mindhunter takes place in the late 1970s and follows Holden Ford, who is a hostage negotiator for the FBI. Uh, With recent murder sprees like the Son of Sam in New York, Holden believes that law enforcement isn't prepared to deal with such criminals, these who act without any clear motive at all. So, he joins up with a veteran agent by the name of Bill Tench, the Bureau's one-man behavioral science unit, uh, and goes on uh, what they are called road, road school gigs with him, where they travel around the U.S. teaching local law enforcement about the criminal psychology theories that Bill developed. Um, And while traveling the country, Holden comes up with the idea to begin interviewing um, incarcerated sequence killers, as he calls them, because the terminology serial killer doesn't exist yet. (laughs) Um, So these are people that have killed more than three people. Um, And he wants to do this to better understand their psychology and apprehend others like them. Um, because right now, at this point in time, they no, law enforcement does not understand why these people are doing what they're doing. They think that crime has completely changed, and they don't understand it, and they don't have the tools to apprehend it. Um, so as their superiors are warming to the project, uh, Holden and Bill bring in Dr. Wendy Carr, who is a professor of psychology who assists them in coming up with the vocabulary and the classifications that make up the beginnings of criminal profiling. Hmm. So that's kind of the nutshell of what the, the story is. So let's dig into a little bit of the characters. So first off, Holden Ford, this is Jonathan Groff. Um, so at the beginning, he's a hostage negotiator, but he quickly becomes part of the behavioral science unit. They make up this team. And what sets him apart is that he champions listening to criminals rather than just treating them like crazy people. He thinks that there is, he's amongst this school of thought that the criminals are formed. They're not just born. They're not just born crazy. And he is, so he is this boy scout with a dark side. He is a workaholic. He is fascinated by killers and he likes waxing theoretical about criminals and their their psyches and trying to 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 figure them out um but he lets his job bleed into his personal life so he's growing like increasingly more obsessed with how to profile these people and kind of like getting into their heads and it starts affecting his personal life and he starts pushing the boundaries of what is considered professional in these uh these interviews and his job uh, Bill in the 70s, that's quite an ass. <laughs> uh, and Bill, uh, Bill Tench, so he is the veteran agent that started the behavioral science unit. Um, and he's kind of a mentor to Holden. Um, he's open to Holden's ideas and practices, but he's also more guarded. He is, uh, he is um, much more skeptical of what the criminals have to say when they're listening to him. Holden is just eating it all up, and Tench is just, like, listening it and t- t- telling, you know, 
constantly trying to bring him back to Earth. Um, and so he is more on the side and more uh, empathetic of the old school cops and agents who don't quite understand what it is that Holden is talking about regarding all this like deep psychology. Um, but he's also the one that helped develop a lot of these things. He's just kind of grew up in the old school. And then there's Dr. Wendy Carr, who's uh, played by Anna Torv of Fringe fame. Ooh. Didn't say that before. Uh, who teaches at Boston College. And I should say that Tench and Ford, they are working out of Quantico in uh, for the FBI in Virginia, FBI headquarters. Um, but Wendy Carr, she teaches at Boston College. She eventually joins up with the team. Four minutes remaining. Oh, here we go, halfway through. Um, and she, when they go out in the field and interview these criminals, they tape them and they bring the tapes back and she analyzes them because she kind of comes at it from a more scientific point of view. She's much more distant and professional versus uh, Ford, Holden Ford, who just kind of goes in and tries to like be kind of buddy with the killers and tries to like come at it from their angle or like challenge them in kind of aggressive ways. You know, he tries different tactics and she is very pro, like we need to come up with a questionnaire that we can use as like a scientific metric to actually like, figure this out scientifically and come up with a study that would be actually useful. Um, so she is a very distant person. We don't know too much about her. She's kind of guarded. Um, but yeah, so she comes at it from that scientific angle. So this this show is, it, it's a Fincher show. It really has that Fincher quality. It's chilly. It's kind of eerie. It's tense. And there's lots of dark humor. Like, it's the sort of things that the killers or the FBI agents are talking about things that are disgusting. Like, for example, one of the killers that they interview, and one of the killers that they interview uh, cut off his mother's head and then had the head perform fellatio on him. Oh. So, okay. Yeah, so that's what we're dealing it's with. It's that show. Yeah. Gibbs on not writing that story. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so so they're dealing, but they, they, they would make light of that. You know, they would joke about that. So that's like a darkly humorous element of the show. Um, so the the key aspects of the show are these, like, lo- there's there's multiple types of scenes. So one of them is like, like you could do like a long, tense interview with, one of these killers where they're trying to like ask them questions to understand why they did what they did dig into their past and then they use these different tactics to do so uh but they're also applying these profiling techniques to existing cases two well. minutes remaining man two minutes uh so they'll go to these like local law go to like these places around the country teach there and the local law enforcement will be like hey can you come look at this with us and they'll be like okay and they'll, they'll go in and try to apply these new techniques to these active cases um so there's lots of scenes where they're like walking through evidence trying to create a profile that's really interesting but the key thing that you need to know is that these are real cases they are going to talk to real killers so the guy who did that his name is edmund kemper who did that terrible thing that i just described that really happened he is a real person i need to know that (laughs) so they are like when they're talking about like holden is really anxious he really wants to talk to charlie manson uh, and he really wants to talk to David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, who was recently uh, apprehended. Um, but just remember, this is early in the stages of profiling, so these people don't have the vocabulary that we're used to. Again, one minute remaining. One minute. Okay, so yeah, Holden is calling them sequence killers. You know, so as he's saying that, you know, everything always seems kind of off. Um, but even as uh, they're going through like the evidence with Wendy, like she's coming up with things like, you know, they're like, you know, when somebody is 
triggered by like a word or like when you bring up women or you talk about a mother you know like are we calling this a trigger or are we calling this you know what are what's the word that we use for this so you will have to like kind of play around with like do you kind of rely on the words that you know from like procedural shows or like common crime shows because they might not have that yet they might not have that knowledge because there's a lot of talk from local law enforcement of these people just being crazy they think that criminals are just born that way that they're just bad they don't a lot of people aren't open to to this unit's new like scientific approach to criminal psychology um so yeah it's a very dark show oh yeah there's the end that's the end i feel pretty good i got through everything that i wanted to say i feel like i need a shower i stopped listening after decapitated mom fellatio yeah yeah it's uh you don't see it but you hear about it oh boy <laughs> I'm, I'm good to stop hearing about it right now <laughs> if we could stay out of the rest of this episode i'd be feeling pretty good <laughs> well we'll see if you guys could top that um but before we get we send you away to write we need to go into the q a portion of our show where you each get two minutes to ask me additional questions um, things that I might not have addressed in the pitch or expand upon the, the notes that I covered that you want to hear more about. Um, so first off, I'm just going to pick someone at random to go first. I am going to start with Eric because he's looking real cute right now. Yeah, I am! All right, so Marcus, if you would please exit the room, and we'll bring you back after Eric's done to ask your questions. Sounds good. I'll be thinking of some questions, I guess. I'm very disturbed right now. <laughs> All Take right. A walk. We'll see you in a minute. Two minute Q&A begin. Okay. So, uh, this, this, this group, this team, are they specifically trying to catch serial killers are they doing all this profile because there's like some killers on the loose and they're trying to figure out who they are is that what's going on that's the goal so the goal is to understand the criminal psych the Mm -hmm. like the psych of these serial killers to then use that to profile cases that are open to catch them faster or perhaps apprehend them before it even happens are there like specific sequence killers on the loose during this that they're trying to catch is there some sort of like threat happening specifically no there's no specific threat because as they learn from the other killers they're very hard to track okay but it's things that they can kind of look out for so if they find like uh, like one aspect or one example from the show is that there's a killer in one of the towns that they visit mm. who is like leaving uh, like dead animals next to the corpses of dead people yeah, and that kind do. of strikes as strange sure. you know there's like what's the motive behind that right. it just seems kind of crazy you sure. know, kind of just like bizarre so they'll look into that further and hopefully apprehend that person if they're going to kill again gotcha okay so they are traveling from town to town um, all over the country yeah everywhere Mm -hmm. gotcha and are they based in boston or is that just wendy uh just wendy but she eventually moves to quantico they're in quantico Quantico. yeah which is where the fbi is quantico Quantico is a town it's a city in uh virginia okay yeah it's right outside of washington dc gotcha okay Mm -hmm. that makes sense fbi Okay. DC. You that got you got thirty seconds. I got, I got less thirty seconds. Um, okay. Um, and then Holden, Bill, and Wendy. Do they get along? Yeah. There's a little bit of tension because they're all this because they a, have d- the conflicting ideologies, basically. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Again. Yeah, yeah. But they they like each other more or less. Yeah. Romance. Generally. Times oh, up. I can't answer didn't that. Get to hear can't about I? the romance. Okay. Uh, 
so that was those were those questions were pretty good uh-huh. i hope you have you're feeling good you're feeling good i'm feeling all right feeling all right okay I'm feeling all right okay i'll take that i'll mm-hmm. take i think you'll write an all right story thank you i like yeah. your confidence yeah so uh eric i'm going to ask you to please exit the room uh-huh. and i'm going to bring in marcus to ask his questions sounds good okay marcus let's get the time on the clock let's do it two minute q a begin okay so how successful are they with their new techniques it's working so they very quickly after interviewing the first like two two serial killer interviews that they have they use it success successfully to apprehend somebody that's doing it okay so they're getting support from the bureau then yeah at first it's a little shaky um but they eventually develop it into like I think it becomes like an academic study, and that's why they continue. They get like grant money for it. So what do they do that works? Like what is their technique? So you know it's a procedural. What's their mo? What are they going to do when they get on site? Um, so they're going to look at like pictures from like crime scenes to see like how the victims were murdered. Like if there was something bizarre about it. Um, so in one aspect, like there's people that are being. Uh, Again, this is really hardcore stuff uh, that are, like, being, like, anally penetrated by, like, broomsticks, you know? So, like, there are things that are really dark, really messed up that seem beyond, like, a simple, like, uh, like boyfriend murdering his girlfriend. Well, what what do they take out of that? Do they think, like, oh, so we should look for someone who has a huge receipt at Home Depot? <laughs> it's more so, like... Um, what was the age of the victim? You know, is this some perhaps somebody like they were picturing like their mother or their girlfriend or you know something else like or um, and then they find where, where are they from? Thirty that seconds remaining. Yeah, yeah. You know, who did they note? Was there? Well, could this have been somebody that they knew, or wasn't it? Um, so are the, they mostly doing research on people who committed the murders, or are they trying to find people using this? So they are trying to. They're doing both. So, so they're interviewing the. Uh, killers to find information to use to hunt down new people. Okay, to, to so it's able... like a mix. Like some episodes would be focused on talking to an old girl and some would be new killers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Time's up. Oh, alright. Yeah, that's good. That's well, good. I'm going to write this with the lights on. Yeah, definitely. It's a spooky one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I, I'm looking forward to, to for you both to delve into the darkness I'm here. going to the dark place. Oh, the dark place. Oh, it's going to be great. All right. Well, thank you, Marcus. Yeah, I'll looking see ya. forward to your to your fic. Okay, folks. Um, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to put these dark, spooky stories head to head to see which one I like more. So, see you in a bit. Hey, gang. Hope you're enjoying Mind Hunters so far. Before we get to these stories, I gotta give a brief message to y'all. If you want to support the show, please subscribe to it on your preferred podcatcher. That way you get the episodes right when they come out. It's convenience, people. How convenient is that? While you're there, leave us a five-star rating and review. Doing that simple thing helps others find us. It's, it's so generous of you to do that. Also, we have a bunch of we have a bunch of social media accounts. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Sham Fiction. And if you really, really like us, you can kick us a few bucks on coffee.com. That is ko-fi.com. Just a few bucks, like you're buying us a coffee. Get it? Okay, my voice is coming back here. Take it away, Andrew. And we're 
back. It's Andrew again, your host for this week, and our writers have just spent the last, just, you know, how a few seconds, however long it's been since we last, uh, we last spoke. <laughs> Approximately um, 60 some, seconds. Some, some stories, you know, just a few seconds. That's all it took to write these stories. If you're not spending, if you're spending more time than a few seconds to write a story, maybe you should rethink. What do you think mm-hmm. I am? Barry Allen and or Wally West and or Jesse Quick and or, do they have other Savitar <laughs> and or, uh, and or Eobard Fawn. Fawn. Oh man, all the all the speedsters. There are a lot Yay. of speedsters on that show. You know how you know what I love. I love the Flash. But we're not talking about the Flash. We're talking about Mind Hunter. Who? Oh man. You guys you guys wrote Mind Hunter, right? You I wrote write the I Flash. wrote the Flash actually. I we did didn't a little even bit of talk both. about the Flash until just now. I'm very fast. Oh that's right. <laughs> You went to the Speed Force. I did. I did a uh, roadshow gig out in uh, Central City. Oh yeah, what kind of roadshow gig? What are you talking where, about? Uh, where it was a crossover where uh, Holden and, and Bill show up and uh, talk <laughs> oh, to the Central man. City. They have to PD. assist the Flash team yeah. in a crime. Exactly. You're great. You're beautiful. I love it. You have to remind me because I've forgotten everything about this show in the few seconds that it has been since I pitched it. Um, but no, I remember everything. That's lie. That was that's just my psychology yeah, trying it was, to oh, it was a good reverse itself. Good, uh, yeah, you got it. All right, guys, we've babbled enough. It's time to read some stories. Ooh. I I'm gonna I'm gonna not take you at your word and just assume that you did write write some Mindhunter stories, and I wanna hear them. I want to hear the stories. So, let's get to them. Eric? Yep. You're looking good today. Oh, thanks. You too, buddy. I mean, Marcus is too. You guys, a couple <laughs> of lovely looking fellas in front of me. But Eric, I'm going to let you go first. All I want right. to hear your mind, Hunter, please. Sounds good. All right. Eric Carlson's uh, The Mind Hunter. Nope. Drop the the. Just Mind Hunter. It's cleaner. Where's Mr. Tench? Oh, he was feeling a little under the weather. Mind if I ask you a few questions? You've already asked your questions. And you didn't answer them. And now I'm back. So let's begin with the basics. Why did you turn yourself in? Why do you think I turned myself in? Let's not do this again, Mr. Kemper. Why? Silence on the tape. Oh, I think it's pretty obvious. We live in an ordered society, after all. And and killers cannot be tolerated. I think you'd agree. Interesting. You think you deserve to be punished? That's why you confessed? I deserve death, Mr. Ford. The things I did by my own volition have no place in our modern, sensible world. Anyone who, with complete control over their mind, decides to take the life of another human being forfeits the right to live themselves. This is more than he'd said during the entire previous tape. He's being philosophical? Waxing poetic on his skewed sense of justice? Why? Because Bill Tinch is out of the room this time? I don't know. I'd like to believe in a moral monster, Mr. Kemper, but it feels too clean to me. Murder is messy. Please, call me Ed. A personal appeal. He's trying to be Holden's friend now that Bill is out of the room, just like Holden said he might. So far, so good. 
All right, Ed, help me understand this. There are people out there who kill once, then turn themselves in. They're perfectly sane individuals, and they never planned to become killers. It just happens. Then they go to the cops. The guilt gets to them, you see. Crimes of passion usually end this way. Generalizations hold in stereotypes. There are also sane people who kill once, bury the evidence, and never turn themselves in. Those tend to be premeditated. They plan the murder, almost always someone they know, follow through with it, then go on with their lives, or try to. What I'm trying to figure out, Ed, is this third category, the category you fall into. Tell me, how can a sane man like you claim to be kill ten people, including their own mother, before turning themselves in? That's not a crime of passion followed by a guilty conscience. What separates you from these other killers? Silence in the earphones, as if Kemper is really considering the question. He's a smart man, after all, IQ of 145, and has already shown a tendency towards the abstract. This could get us somewhere. Can I call you Holden? More personal appeals. Mr. Ford will do. Good man. Well, Mr. Ford, I would argue that somebody who kills for passion is not sane by any measure of the word. Nor is somebody who plans the murder of a person with whom they are acquainted. You think they are sane because you can understand them, but understanding is not the same thing as sanity. Interesting. The first murderer, the one who turns himself in, gets in an argument with his girlfriend. Things get heated, and he pulls a knife and stabs her. You think he's sane because we all understand anger. I think he's a wild animal. The second killer, maybe he hates his boss. He wants him dead for making him work weekends or for denying him that well-deserved promotion, so he plans the perfect crime and kills him one night when the man's wife is out of town. No collateral damage. Careful. Precise. You think he's sane because we all understand justice. The boss was unfair to him, so he was punished. The scale of offense to penalty is a bit skewed, but you don't bat an eye at the justification. I think he's a monster. Killers like me, however, are neither monsters nor wild animals. We kill not because of anger or hatred or misplaced sense of justice, no, but because we must express our complete mastery over the people that surround us. A hitchhiker puts her trust in me because I seem like a friendly stranger. I bring her to a secluded spot in the woods and cut her head off with a pocket knife. It's something I know I have the power to do. I weigh the options. Should I do it or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? I decide to go through with it, not because I'm mad with lust or envy or wrath, but because I simply can. Wow. That was... A good answer. It's pretty much everything Holden's been hypothesizing about sequence killers for months. It's all about power. Power over victims. Power over the lives of others. No wonder he was so happy when he handed me this tape. Just a few minutes in, and Holden's making serious breakthroughs here. What about your mother? My mother had power over me. 
She berated me and kept me from the people I loved. So one day, I decided to take the power into my own hands. Some would call that vengeance, like killer number two at the shitty boss. I didn't hate her, Mr. Ford. She had power over me in her own way. Then I took that power in my own way. Polite way of saying you sawed her head off and fucked it. Why does he always mention that? He can't not mention that. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm nothing if not polite. And now I'm politely talking to you instead of reaching across this table and breaking your neck with my bare hands. A pause in the tape. There it is. Asserting his power over Holden. Kemper's nearly seven feet tall and strong as a bull. Holden would know that the man could probably do what he says. That would not be polite. Good thing I'm so civilized. Another pause. So, why did you turn yourself in? Because there was nothing else to do. I had finished. She was dead and I was in control. Where else do you go from there? I've read a theory that you killed those hitchhikers because they were surrogates for your mother, using them to live your fantasies of killing her. Freudian nonsense. As terrible as she was, Holden, I didn't fetishize her death. Holden. He called him Holden. Mr. Ford. Holden. I think I've answered all of your questions satisfactorily. He's done. He's taken control away from Holden. There's more I'd like to know. There's a loud screeching noise. Metal chair legs scraping against a concrete floor. Kemper, sit down. Holden sounds unnerved. He's scared. And most likely pushing the silent alarm button on it on this side of the interview desk. In a few moments, the guards will open the door and escort the big man out. I'm having one of those moments, Holden. Kemper, one of those should I or shouldn't I moments. Sit back down, Kemper. I could screw your head off and place it on the table to greet the guard. Footsteps on the tape, and the sound of a door being unlocked and opened. But I've decided not to do that because I'm fucking polite. <laughs> Good day, Holden. I hope this interview has been enlightening. Handcuffs rattling. Feet shuffling. Probably the guards leading Kemper away. Holden's rapid breaths, eventually slowing as he composes himself. It was all there. Everything Holden had been looking for all wrapped up in a neat little package. Kemper's own actions even seemed to corroborate his story about taking power away from others and putting himself in charge. He really did take control away from Holden at the end there. Exactly the way Holden had wanted him to. Wait. Was it too obvious? Holden getting rid of Bill for the second interview was a pretty clear attempt at changing the power dynamic in the room. Is it possible Kemper had just been playing along? Had he seen through Holden's ploy and then just spouted everything we wanted to hear? Was that entire thing just an act? A loud click as the player reaches the end of the tape. The end. Oh. Ooh. Well, that was a story <laughs> that, that Eric wrote. That's all I have to say on that subject for right now. Because I am an impartial judge. And we need to hear the other story. Which happens to be to written that up. by Marcus. Oh, darn. 
<laughs> so, Mr. Man, if you would, regale us. Alright, I've got another mine hunter here. He's got a lot of the same characters saying a lot of different things. Hmm. I didn't give you lots of characters, so you did. that makes sense. Yeah. Alright, let's do some mine hunter. Here we go. Isn't the whole point of these tapes that I don't have to come back here to talk about them? <laughs> Holden lit a cigarette. He knew Wendy hated them, but he also knew she wouldn't say anything, even in her lab. It was hard enough to breathe without denying himself a smoke in this mess of papers, old books, and covered chalkboards. Just hear her out, okay, Holden? Bill sat down, but he didn't meet Holden's eyes. I can justify this meeting myself, Agent Tench. Thank you. Wendy sat down across from Bill and Holden and moved the tape recorder to the center of the table. The purpose of these tapes is to scientifically analyze the results of your interrogations, disconnected from the heat of the moment in the room. As you are about to hear, I believe the heat has grown too strong for you to remain objective. Wendy ran her finger across a box of neatly arranged tapes before pulling out a recording labeled Camelback. Just seeing the name made Holden shift in the seat. Their last trip down to Phoenix had gotten a little out of hand. Now he knew why Bill wouldn't look him in the eye. The playback didn't start at the beginning of the interview. That would have been okay. Holden started the conversation with Pat Gartner the same way that he had started all conversations with potential sequence killers. He'd used the same damn questions that Wendy had compiled. But that hadn't gotten him anywhere. She didn't understand these men the same way that he did. He had to push further. The tape began with the sounds of that pushing. Halfway through the interview, Holden had lost his calm and slammed the face of the killer into the cold metal table in the interrogation room. <laughs> the recording didn't catch the full depth of the skin splitting on impact, or the ping of Gartner's tooth as it skidded across the table, but it was enough to put Holden back in the moment. The feeling of righteousness he had felt, and the rage he had, as Bill had pulled him away from Gartner's unintelligible screams. Wendy stopped the tape. Well? He's a killer, Holden said. If I'd gotten more time with him, I would have been able to prove it. But there's no need to reprimand Bill for pulling me away. Bill remained silent. He was normally the first to laugh at Holden's jokes. Wendy wasn't likely to. Everyone gets carried away sometimes, Holden said. If that wasn't the case, none of us would have jobs. And what we do is important. You believe that what you did was justified. Holden sighed. It wasn't correct procedure, but I'm not going to feel guilty over roughing up a murderer. I'll do better next time. Wendy took a deep breath through her nose and out through her mouth. It was one of those calming routines that Holden had been taught in the academy. Ridiculous. Did it ever occur to you that our work could be dangerous? When we publish the results of our studies, it gives killers our playbook to avoid being detected. If they express their urges outside of their natural impulse, we may not be able to track them. Trust me, Pat Gartner is not reading papers out of Boston College. And on the other hand, Wendy pressed on, if our research is wrong, it could lead to us convicting the wrong people. It is therefore critical that we stay objective, that we work to disprove our hypotheses and cultivate better practices. This isn't a game, and this isn't about being a hero. You must remain dispassionate. You must have judgment. In my judgment, Pat Gartner was guilty of killing four tourists, and ridding himself to their bodies on the Camelback Mountain hiking trails, where their injuries could be disguised by the falls and the sun damage if we were ever to find them. Why don't you rewind the tape and listen to what he said? I know what he said, Wendy said. Are you sure? 
because you seem to be more upset with me than Gartner. In through the nose, out through the mouth, she was struggling to remain calm. I know what he said because I told him to say it. I hired him to test you. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Bill? What is going on? Sit down, Holden, please, Bill said. Holden hadn't even noticed himself standing up from the table. He sat with some effort. You've done good work for the Bureau, Holden. For criminal profiling as a whole, Bill said. This time he was looking Holden in the eye, and it was so much worse than when he'd been avoiding him. But Dr. Carr and I have become concerned about, what does Wendy know about what it's like to be out there? Dr. Carr and I have become concerned about your recent behavior. You've been pushing further and further with each of your interviews. We wondered if you were losing sight of what matters. Wendy took in another one of her infuriating breaths. I hired Jacob to pose as a potential suspect, Pat Gartner. He's actually a student here at the college. If you would have done <sighs> the proper checks to look into his case file, you would have caught that he was a fraud before you stepped into the room. If you would have done the full background interview, you would have caught enough inconsistencies in his story to raise an alarm. I gave Jacob only enough background to tell you what you wanted to hear. Frankly, he's not even a great actor. Any diligence would have tipped you off. Holden turned to Bill. So after everything we've been through, you set me up to fucking fire me? He struggled to remain calm as the creeping rage began to surround him. The feeling he had when he spoke to these men who discarded human lives as if they had no value. The feeling that was staying with him more hours after each interview ended. We're not going to fire you, Bill said. We want to help you, Wendy said. And yes, I said we. Your behavior has been unacceptable, but your work has been invaluable. We can't afford to lose you because you lost sight of what's important. If you had done what you did to Jacob to the wrong person in police custody, that could have been the end of everything that we've worked for. As it was with Jacob, all it took to pay him off was a free A in psych, a letter of recommendation, and a small amount of our grant money to fix his tooth. <laughs> this work is breaking new ground, and we can't let it be shaped by the wrong hands. We can consider your outbreak a data point on the effects of investigating sequence killers, if you agree to get help. From you, Doc? God, no, Wendy said. She actually laughed. But I do have some well-regarded colleagues. Holden looked from Wendy to Bill. The anger wasn't going away, but he couldn't let himself be taken away from this. He breathed in through his nose and out through his mouth, then put out his cigarette. I'm listening. The end. Ha! Nice! Uh, nice! That was a story. <laughs> two stories. We just heard two stories. A sequence uh, of stories. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh man. Lovely, gentlemen. I enjoyed those stories very much. <laughs> not going to say whose I enjoyed more right this minute because I need to think about it a little bit. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> need, to, need, to, need to mull them over a little bit. Ah, but in the meantime uh, let's, let's, let's hear a little bit more from y'all. We'll start with Eric. Yeah. Eric, what, uh, what, was, what was challenging about this? What, uh, what'd, you, what'd you push yourself on this, on this one? Well, as you know, as a writer... I uh, I had to uh, put my hands on the keyboard and I typed Ooh. and I wrote a story, yep. and that was the most challenging part for me. 
<laughs> See, I'm the host. I get to be vague. Oh, fine. You don't get to be vague. Fair. You don't get to do stuff like this. Only I need to describe the obvious things. You can't. Okay. Uh, challenging. You know, th- you set us up with uh, with a, with a, a story that's based on real life, right? Yes, I did. And that always sucks a lot because then I have to do research. Yeah. I have to actually go on the internet and I have to look things up about serial killers and I have to read their entire Wikipedia page. <laughs> and you know what? That takes time, valuable time away from my writing. And and I'm angry at you, Andrew Neal, though you're looking real good today. It's mostly <laughs> about my insecurities, not at all about your faults. I love you. Don't take points away from me for that answer. Good night. No, no, no. Well, you know what? Not going to say. Not going to say. Keeping it vague because I'm the host. <laughs> all right. So that was an answer to my question. So now, Marcus, the same question to you. Sounds like Pert Happily is hosting Sham Fiction now. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Uh, yeah, so interestingly enough, I decided... Uh, as I was, I started much like young Eric, um, doing doing research. I looked at the Wikipedia page of serial killers and their years effective, and tried to figure out who would have been uh, active serial killer at that time. And as I was reading into different killers uh, to figure out who I could target, it got really disturbing. As these people have done really disturbing things, and the other thing that caught my eye was that a lot of them are still alive. And a lot of them, mm. you know, they're working in the 70s, so they killed people who still have friends and family who are alive today. And that all made me very uncomfortable with the notion of doing a fictional version of these people. Uh, sure. So I scrapped that idea and decided to take another tact. Uh, so that was, that was a hard choice to make. Because originally I was planning to do exactly what Eric did. And have it be Wendy listening to one of these tapes. Nice. Uh, that was going to be nice. my original plan. Uh, so then I decided, well, it's still a TV show, so there's going to be character drama. And then I tried to think of what's a reasonable character drama that wouldn't affect the flow of history, but could be sort of a secret backstory that could have plausibly happened with these characters. Sure, sure. That's good to know. All right. Thank you for providing that background regarding your story. <laughs> Happy to do oh. it. <laughs> All right, the time has come. <gasps> Judgment must be done. <laughs> so, I have heard your stories. I've heard a little bit of background. And, guys, this is... I, I like both of these stories. Wasn't lying before, even though I was trying to, you know, play it cool and say that uh, maybe I didn't like them. You know, maybe <laughs> I was, maybe I wasn't. I was lying. That was a lie. I liked them. I liked them both. But there, there can only be one winner. And uh, that winner today is actually several winners because there are several creative people behind this show and that's who always wins in this case it's the creator of Mindhunter Joe Penhall and the 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 people who wrote the book that it's based on John Douglas and Mark Olshaker are you saying they wrote a better version of this than we did yeah yeah they sure did (laughs) you know I'm I'm starting to notice a pattern here with these shows 
Yeah. We'll when when is it going to be our time? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I, I wonder when it's going to drive one of us insane. <laughs> like when one of us is just going to go, why? Why so can't I win? Um, but uh, the runner-up today... Uh, well, fourth runner-up. I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's again. I, I listed three other people there. So you're, you, whoever is going to be named here in just but a few seconds, you're in fourth place. So come on, it's it's not that big a deal. Um, but I'm gonna give it to Messer Carlson. <gasps> congratulations! What? Really? Congratulations! I'm, I'm actually shocked. <laughs> actually shocked. Really. Oh, Marcus, man. Marcus, you are the fourth runner-up in my heart. Oh, thank you. Just but it doesn't that, matter, Marcus, because you. he's not the host <laughs> oh, this week. Yeah. His opinion matters nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going off on the power trip. <laughs> <laughs> Unlimited. Um, yes, but Marcus, still a good story. Just you're, you know, you're number five this week. That's okay. I, I don't mind. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm good. All right, so let's get into this. Why did Andrew Neal just select Eric's story before Marcus' story? Let's uh, let's 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 dig into it. So I loved the tape uh, technique. I, I I adored that. And once I caught on that this was just going to be dialogue on the tape, and with like uh, what is it called? Where she's like notation notations. Yeah, notation. Um. That was great. Great way to structure this thing. Great way to structure the type of, um, the type of things that you see in Mindhunter in a in an interesting uh, format, uh, written down. Um, because this show consists, om- you know, it, I mean, it consists a lot of what both of you guys did. There are just long. I mean, I'm talking long, like twenty minute in some cases interview sequences. It seems <laughs> like just extended interview sequences. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the aftermath where they're all getting together and talking about it and trying to figure out what they're doing. And so like both of these scenes very felt very much of the show. But I definitely have a stronger pull towards the actual interview scenes. Because there's so much tension there. And I, Eric, you just you, you did a great job. The thing that sealed the deal for me is that, and you probably got this from reading up on Kemper, is that he loved to talk about what he did. Mm-hmm. He was very open about everything. And that's why he was like the perfect guy for them to go and talk to. But also, at the same time, was what he was saying even true? And that was the key, is that at the end... You, I, I was like, I hope, I hope that he puts in some, some, uh, some of the, uh, hesitation, you know, I, there needs to be something there and you did it and it was great because it was very close to how the show portrays it because cool. Holden goes in, he listens to Kemper and he's just gobbling it all up and Tench is just like, he's just telling you what you want to hear, you know? And like, and so Ford has to like rethink everything. So it just felt very close to where the show is. So bravo. Very well done. Wow. Thank you. That's uh, yes. I'm surprised. I, I honestly, I, I wasn't sure if the format would work kind of like the dictated. Uh, it's like listening to the tape and typing everything out and like scribbling in the margins you yeah. know, as, as she's listening through. It's like, I didn't know if that would play. So I'm glad that it hit you the way it did because I, I'm, I'm shocked. 
I'm happy it worked out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Marcus, any anything you wanted to talk about in regards to Eric's story? Yeah, I, I, Eric, I really enjoyed your story. I thought it was well-researched. It felt like you had characters who had their own life experiences and perspectives. And that was all very interesting. Then you had that metal layer of Dr. Carr making the notations. And that was a fun format for this. So it very much felt like the sort of scene that you would have in the show. Uh, and it was interesting because, like I said, that was exactly the format that I was originally thinking mm-hmm. I was going to do. Um, but you, you really went for it. And I, so I appreciated that. It was something that I couldn't pull around myself to doing. Yeah, and you went for fun. Kemper. Which, whew. <laughs> I had to. After your reaction, especially, about hearing what he did in the pitch, I had to bring it back <laughs> just to piss you off. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, did you did you find recordings of Kemper? No. Um, I just, just read some stuff. So I don't actually know what the guy sounds like, but considering he's like a giant of a man. Yeah. Uh, I figured, figured, uh, kind of a weirdo voice. It was good. Yeah, no, that was good. It worked well. It was a little, little, little Buffalo Bill, but uh, <laughs> yes, also that's okay. Also true. <laughs> no, and I'm glad you played with that. You know, having researching it and putting that detail of his size because the show really plays off that too. He's it's very intimidating how big he is, mm-hmm. but also just how you mentioned the politeness, and that's he's very polite. He's always incredibly polite. In fact, in your piece, he comes on a little bit stronger than he even does in the show. Sure. He's definitely a very calm, eerily calm force on the show. It's just that his size is so intimidating. Yeah. Cool. Now I want to get over to Marcus's story. Yes. Because there's a lot to like here as well. Um, the, the key thing that I liked here is that you, 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 you nailed a, a, the dynamic between the characters kind of down into their essence. Even though I would say that Holden in your piece was quite different than he is on the show. Um, in in your piece, he, he is definitely playing off the fact that they're killers and he's talking about... He, he, he speaks about them very negatively, whereas in the show, he never really does that. He's so fascinated by them that they often have to, like, check him for siding with them too much. Mm. <laughs> so that that was a difference. But what you hit is that he is bullheaded. He is trying all these things that are not cool. Like, he is pushing the envelope in terms of what he should be doing in those situations. So the situation that you set up felt very... It felt like something that could happen in the show. Like, he could potentially be pushed that far. He doesn't quite go where you're, where you went with it in the show, but he does push the envelope quite a bit. And, and, and you especially nailed how Wendy comes at it. Very cool, very calculated and with really well reasoned arguments behind, uh, behind, uh, her criticism of their work. So I really appreciated that side of it a lot. Thanks. Yeah, those characters, like you, you, Marcus, you always do such a good job creating characters who have strong viewpoints and putting those viewpoints at odds with one another. Like, you, you kind of took these characters, and I haven't seen the show, obviously, so I don't know what they're actually like. You create this Holden 
who is, you know, this very passionate, he's, he's emotional, he kind of is in the moment at all times, and then you put her, put him up against Wendy, who is this dispassionate, very cool, scientific character, and ha- putting them in a scene where they're at odds is so interesting. It makes for such good drama. Thank you. Dug it a lot. And I want to know what that actor on the tape said to piss Holden off so much. Yeah. I, Do you uh, know? Is I, there an answer? I, well, I was thinking about the whole murdering people out where no one can find them. And I think that was the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd come up with this whole story. At one point I was thinking that I was actually going to have it be a real killer um, and just make up my own fictional killer. Uh-huh. And so the idea there was that he would uh, strangle people like to the point that they would pass out and then he would abandon them on the mountain <laughs> so they would die. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. But like they'd probably come to... And there'd be no way of tying it back to them. Because it's the 70s, they're not going to have a phone, and no one's ever going <laughs> to find them. Um, yeah. Lots of people do die in Camelback. So that was something I was doing research on, was like, they don't know when people fall, if it's a suicide, if it's foul play, if it's just someone slipping. There's no way to tell, even today. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting to me. You just hit on the existential horror of not having a cell phone. What is that like, guys? Yeah. It's been a while. Yikes. Ugh. I, don't, I don't, do not want to live in the dark ages of the 1970s. Woof. I also thought uh, this was the 70s, so he would, of course, smoke and be sexist. So that yeah. was the... <laughs> you done good. Those were the things I assumed. <laughs> good assumptions. There's little, there's, there's, he, 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 I don't think he smokes. He's a bit of a Boy Scout. But there's, there's definitely a little bit of the sexism there, because you're right. Um, so I want to know... What about what 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 you guys enjoy about this process? So you're dealing with some dark material here. So where was where was the fun? Oh, good question. Uh, so I'll start. Um, uh, what I thought was fun about this was I kind of treated this after all the gobs of research. I didn't really know what to do. I knew I wanted a scene. I wanted the interview between Holden and uh, Kemper. And uh, so I just started free writing, just dialogue, not worrying about direction at all. I figured it would maybe turn into something else. I thought about kind of going the sort of direction that Marcus did, where that would be like they'd be listening to the tape and having a scene going on. But first I needed that uh, to know what they were saying on the tape and uh, just rolled with it. And that was like really just quick type it out. Bam, bam, bam. Dialogue without worrying about all the the like technical pieces. Um which was a lot of fun. It's something I don't really get to do very often, just write pure dialogue. Um, so that was that was cool and different and great for me. It was fun. I, yeah. I did that uh, kind of in The Wolf of Wall Street last season. Oh, sure. Which was just oh, a really yeah. fun exercise. That was a really good one. Uh, the actual Wolf of Wall Street, as we call yep. it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you all haven't heard that episode at home, check it out. Uh, warning, there's a wolf. <laughs> it's yeah. very explicit uh, stuff happens with the wolf. Yep. Oh boy, that was also based on a true story. Yeah. Not, I mean, not your sham fiction. I mean, it wasn't true. <laughs> That's but, true. Uh, but the the material there was based on a true story. Yeah. But yeah, Marcus, what um what did you enjoy during the process? I w- it was fun trying to put myself in the mindset of people who are creating something. 
you know, this is not like a film or uh, novel or short story that they're making, but I, I thought of them as creators and how mm. vulnerable you can be in that process. You know, they're creating a new field of science and research and how it's hard. Uh, you have moments where you clash with your collaborators. You have moments where you need to take a step back and look at what your collaborators are actually saying. So that was sort of fun for me to try to think of it from that perspective of I like that. how they were each putting forward their own piece of identity into this. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's that's a great way to come at it because the show is exploring that too. Like they're all just they're feeling their way through it. They're trying to figure out what the best way is to do it. And when Holden pushes sometimes, it is for the better. Like it does get better results um from time to time and it does in some cases lead to them saying, "Oh, though we so we have to do it that way." Mm-hmm. But other times it's like, "No. No, that's not a good way to do it." We shouldn't do it that way. And and they're always, like, arguing over who's right. So, again, like, you're seeing really... Even if the character was quite a bit different from how he's portrayed on the show, it still felt like the sort of scene that we would see on it. Cool. Well, the other thing that was a lot of fun with this was... Uh, I'm terrible at telling when someone's bluffing. I, I had just played a bluffing card game recently. And... I was thinking, gosh, that's no stakes whatsoever. We're playing a fun game for made-up points. I can't imagine what the stakes are like when you're worrying about convicting someone of murder or maybe finding and preventing a murder. <laughs> so sure, I, that was something that really intrigued me with this. Is like, what if you could just be lied to because that's what you want to hear? That's what would be a fun narrative choice in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of the germ that was a lot of fun for me to explore as well. Yeah. No, and I think, um, Eric, you did a really good job of playing with that. Yeah. With, again, with how sincere is Ed actually being and how much of it, like, when Holden's just, like, writing down, like, you know, so excited, or Wendy's, like, oh, man, this is exactly what we want to hear. It's like, how much of it is just confirmation bias? Mm-hmm. You know, how much is just, like, this is the way we thought, and he's telling us exactly what we, what we thought. So... It's it was fun. To, I'm glad that you played a bit with that, and that was something that you all were thinking about. Um, yeah, I love seeing the ways that these stories tend to be similar. What elements m- pervade both stories each time? There's always some crossover, and it's yeah. great. And they're always so different at the same time. It's just it's uh, really fun. I think we were afraid of that more when we first came up with this format last season. Yeah, was, are these just going to be two identical stories? But we always find something else to latch onto. The yeah, the point being, I like this format, guys. Let's keep making this show. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's All a show right. we can keep making. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Have you heard with Bird? <laughs> All right, guys. Any final thoughts on these stories? I'm I'm feeling good. Um, I'm looking good. Uh, Margus, I just. I liked your story a lot. It felt like a TV show. It felt like an actual scene from a dramatic show like this. And oh, thank you. so it it felt right at home. Again, I haven't seen it, but I would watch that show that you just wrote. I liked your story as well, Eric. No. And I think we should do kissing later. Alright. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, I'm blushing. No. My God. All right. Just our beers right. will join Let's as end one. the show quick. All right. All right. So if y'all want to watch Mindhunter, and I highly recommend that you do, uh, it's on Netflix. Ooh. It's a Netflix original, and it's 10 episodes. Is it a limited run series, or are they doing multiple seasons? They are doing a season two. Oh, nice. It's already been picked up. Because it's uh, it's been a it's been a very popular show. Um, Did you look ahead and see what happens to Holden? You mean in season two, like in real life? Oh, he's not. So Holden is not an actual real person. Oh. He's based on a real person, but he. I don't think any of the characters are actual. Like the the, the CIA characters are not real people, as because it's John Douglas who co-wrote the book mm-hmm. that it's based on. Uh, this is based off of a lot of his experiences, but the character's not called John Douglas. So it's kind of like the newsroom, where they, they took real yeah. news and came up yeah. with fake characters. That's a good comparison, absolutely, yeah. yep. Because the all the, the, the killers, from what I understand, all the serial killers are real, and maybe the cases are too? I don't know. I don't know about the, the actual cases that they're applying to. I'm not sure about that. Well, but we'll have it's to a good research. One. Oh man, the research. Respect the research. Alright. I'm good. I am satisfied. Thank you for those dark tales of killers and cops. <laughs> yeah, that's what that was. Um, that, that's it. Yep. Alright, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, y'all. This has been Sham Fiction for another week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. How's it floating, everybody? Marcus here to give you a little taste of our next episode. It may taste a little like cheese, or at least... That's what we thought it tasted like prior to 1969 when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon and got terrible scarring down their esophagi for eating the lunar regolith and realizing that it was not made of cheese. No, this is a story about the far future of the moon and a city that could be called Artemis. So we hope you'll join us on the moon for this exciting adventure by the author of The Martian, Told for you by two less talented writers who I count among my dearest friends. Tune in for Andrew and Eric's take on Artemis by Andy Weir. This has been a Two Jackets production.